0: 6th is the first week, so May 13th should be Sunday the following week. So that's what we'll be doing. But right now, we're going into chapters 8 and 10. Now, why did I combine the two? Because traditionally, they are actually read together. Um, so, so FYI, for those who, have, uh, who are studying First Corinthians, uh, who are studying along with us, please be sure uh, when you approach chapter 8, also read chapter 10 together because they're both uh, on the same topic. It's just that Paul, for some odd reason, took a break in chapter 9. Don't know why, but he, he actually revisits chapter 8 again in chapter 10. But of course, customarily, custom, here's my tongue tie again. Customarily, uh, we start off with a video. So let's watch this video. Has been overrun before. by a strange and almost certainly evil sect calling themselves the Movementarians. In exchange for your home and all your money, the leader of this way out and wrong religion claims he'll take believers away on his spaceship to the planet Blistonia excuse my editorial laugh (laughs) but ladies and gentlemen i've just learned of a change in this station's management welcome movementarians continue to improve our lives i love you perfect leader and new ceo of kbbo broadcasting so we are embarking on the next half of first corinthians customarily we review the previous central points but because we're now in midpoint uh, i encourage you to go back to some of the videos or go back to some of the podcasts uh, on our website, and you could review the central points of chapters 1 through to 7. Right now, because we're in the next half, we're not going to do that because it's going to take a long time. So we'll now start off with the next half of chapter 8. And if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18 to 21. We're going to use this, uh, these passages as our foundation and to create a trajectory on how we're going to approach chapter 8 and 10. So let me read this, starting with verse 18. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Why did I choose this passage? Well, it's because it appropriately summarizes both chapter eight and 10. You see, if you you ever read chapter eight and 10, there's one word that's repeated often and is the word idol. And if you've been with me long enough, any word that's repeated more than twice is pretty important. Okay, So for Paul, he likes to repeat himself when things are really important. And he repeated the word idol six times in chapter 8 and four times in chapter 10. And with the passage I just read, the whole practice of eating that Paul was addressing was not the food itself. It's not about the food. It's actually about idol worship because eating the food is a form of worship back then. Okay, eating is a form of worship, so we're actually talking about idol worship. So it's not about beer. Okay, I, I like uh, every time I hear this passage preached, like in back in my previous life, uh, in past life, I always hear the, the, the pastor saying, "Yeah, this means don't drink beer in front of people." Okay, that's why we created this rule for all pastors. Don't drink beer in front of people, don't drink beer in public, don't drink alcohol because you don't want your brother to stumble. No, (laughs) that's not it, okay? Especially not using this passage. This passage is all about idol worship. And back in the day, first century, yes, eating food was part of worship. Singing for us is like eating food for them. Follow? It's part of their liturgy. Today is Easter Sunday, all right, the day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. The punishment of sin, which is death, is conquered. So what does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with our passage in chapters 8 and 10 this morning? Well, apparently, a lot. Because our central point is this, that we'll be unpacking this morning. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus is Lord and King, and of course, God of this entire world. Therefore, he requires our worship. Worship through praise, worship through prayer, and worship through uh, song, which we've done today. But also, here's the catch. Worship through loyalty, worship through submission, obedience, and allegiance. Those are the few last words that I believe are very tough for us to do in the 21st century today. Because it is very easy on the first day, on Easter Sunday, on Christmas, you know, like how many times, when people ask, how many times do you go to church? Oh, it's just Christmas and Easter. It is very easy, even for us who come here every week to say we we could claim our loyalties and allegiance today to God. But the rest of the six days, we find ourselves talking a whole different language. We find ourselves talking about stuff that's not even Christ-centered. A whole different person we become for the next six days. Then on Sunday again, we have this cheery self and saying, yeah, I claim, I bow my knee, whatever we songs we sing. Hence, loyalty, submission, obedience, and allegiance should also include be included when we worship. And that's a daily thing. So worship is daily. We are always constantly tempted right, to do something else, to worship something else, to be loyal to something or someone else. In other words, not Jesus, not God. So it's about idols, about idol worship. However, I must admit, though, how how many of you have ever met that, you know, what is really an idol in the 21st century? Have you guys ever wondered? Because idols back then are usually these calves, right? We always talk, like, they always talk about calves, these statues. So what are idols today? Well, Eugene Peterson said this in his book, The American Dream. And if you ever want to know more about uh, the 21st century idol, just go ahead and read the book. But I made this quote from Eugene Peterson. So what is an idol today, he says. An idol is God with a small g, with all the God, capital G, taken out. God depersonalized, God de-relationalized, a God that we can use and enlist and fantasize without ever once having to, or maybe even getting to is the better phrase, receive or give love, and then go on to live. However, falteringly and our most human, the essence of idolatry then is depersonalization. The idol is a form of divinity that requires no personal relationship. The idol is a form of divinity that I can manipulate and control. The idol reverses the god-creature relationship now that now I am the god and the idol is the creature. And that's Eugene Peterson. So for him, by definition, idol is merely for our own benefit, our own use. We control it. We set time for it. We could be late for it. We could be, we want it, we could consume it, and it's a quantity thing just for ourselves, for our own benefit. That's idols. So why are we tempted to worship other things instead of Jesus, right? Why are we tempted? First of all, let's go into what Paul says then. In chapter 10, verse one to six, if you have your Bibles, let's go to there and let's begin. He says this, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses, into the cloud, and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Ooh, that's uh, something that you should mark for later Bible studies. This rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Paul begins, interestingly enough, when he talks about idols, he begins by retelling some Jewish history. Why? And he's also mainly telling about the Exodus story. Why would he do that? You know, the part where they're wandering in the desert? Why would he do that? because the reasons for our temptations of today in our 21st century, the reasons why we fall into temptation to worship other things during the, next, during the six days, well, apparently, it's not new. It's been around since the Israelites back in the wandering days of Exodus. Why do I say that? Well, here's what he says in chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's why he revisited the Exodus story. It's because, you know this verse, though, it's really common. We memorize it in Awana, I think, right? For those who lead Awana. But, you know, you wonder why he says that. It's because the temptations that we face today is exactly the same temptations back in first century, the same temptations back in 90 B.C. We're facing it the same. History repeats itself. Humankind is very predictable, (laughs) unfortunately. So why are we tempted to? So why are we tempted to change our loyalties, allegiances, and disobey God and go worship other things? Well, let's look at the Exodus story then, since Paul referred to it. First thing, the first reason why they were tempted to worship idols and why we are, first one, It's called impatience. Impatience and the need to be immediately gratified. Why do I say that? First Corinthians chapter 10, verse seven to eight. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day 23,000 of them died. Okay, what was going on here? Well, if you refer back to Exodus, this is a time of what I would call Carmel Gate. Okay, never mind. All right, so it's about the mountain. Actually, it's Mount Sinai. When when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, because God called him to, to receive from God what he's supposed to say to the Israelites at the foot hill. Remember that? No? Yes? Maybe? Then, as he's up there, apparently, the Israelites go, where did Mo go? You know, where did he go? And you know, it's like, they're looking at the clock, oh gosh, it's already been 10 years. Right? Where did he go? Did he die? Like, he, and then some people grumbled and said, yeah, he probably did, because you know, he is old. Maybe he stumbled. Uh, maybe he forgot about us, and then went to the other side of the mountain and thought, you know, that's where we were, and maybe we should go around. Or it's a, and some people just thought, you know what? He's probably dead. And then, he, and then they were thinking, well, you know what? I'm getting a little impatient. Are you getting a little impatient? And then everybody goes, yeah, we're getting a little impatient. We're supposed to be a nation already, right? Folks, God promised us that we should be a nation. And everybody goes, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we're supposed to be a nation. So how are we supposed to do it? Well, God's definitely not talking to us because most dead, right? So let's do it on our own way. So they looked around, around the pagan nations around them. And what did they see? A lot of gold statues. Right? They see a lot of gold statues. And they go, oh, that's how you constitute a country. That's how you establish uh, you know, a nation. Maybe we need to have idols. So they go to Mo's bro, Aaron, right? And then Aaron goes, well, yeah, just do whatever you want to do. Okay, and then, and then the Israelites go, okay, we're going to melt a bunch of uh, gold and silver and then uh, make a statue, a golden cap. Because you know what, they have bowls We'll have calves. At least that will differentiate us from the other nations, right? They have bulls, some have sheaths, some have dragons. We have a calf. How creative is that, right? A calf, right? Not even a mature cow, but just a calf, right? I guess it's just a start of a nation. So they said, okay, we'll make a calf the way others do it. Now, okay, let me just go and then, so a bunch of people go, okay, let's look at the other pagan nations and see what else they do. And then they go, okay, oh, they do orgies. Hey, that's fun. Sexual orgies? Why not? I'm horny. So let's go and sleep around a lot more. It it helps. You know, releases stress. Right? So I'm going to, like let's do sexual orgies then. Great. And let's like party all the time like this. 69. Right? <laughs> party to versus like as in 69. So we'll do all this stuff because the other countries, a lot of the nations are doing it as well. Just so that we could be a nation. Because didn't God say God helps those who help themselves? Uh, No. That's Benjamin Franklin who also was a, who had, do you know how many mistresses he had? 18. All right. So he was very horny. All right. So, immediate gratification, right, folks? They wanted to be a nation right away. They wanted God to do it right away and couldn't wait for Moses to come back down. They didn't have faith. They didn't trust God. How many of us today are waiting for God for an answer and are quickly, quickly growing impatient with him? How many of us might have given up on waiting and decided to go on our own way because, hey, God helps those who help themselves, right? But deep down, we know that whatever we choose right now may be wrong. That whatever decisions that we we're making now may not be the right one, but we'll do it anyway because you know God will just affirm it, right? You know, just affirm it. We don't have to pray anymore. We'll just go and do it, and then it'll work out at the end, right? For all things work for the together for the girls. Wrong verse. Don't use that. Immediate gratification. And so, the, like the Israelites, how do we fall into idol worship? It's because we just can't wait for God to answer. Still remember that, like at times when I hear people saying, you know what, I really want God to respond, but I'll just do it anyway and He'll affirm it. Or I've been praying long and hard to get healed, or for that healing to have to happen. But I want it my way, not the other way. You know, because they want it immediate. But God calls us to slot through. Or sometimes I hear about, especially now these days in my other line of work, I do a lot of career counseling. And a lot of it, people come to me and go, I really want to quit now, right? It's like there's a dead end, I don't see anything beyond this, and they've only been in the job for what, eight months, right? And then I go, well, guess what? The Israelites went through a wilderness for 40 years. You know why? It's because God wanted them to mature, to draw their closer, a relationship closer to Him. <coughs> Maybe in our work, this is our wilderness too. To develop us, to help to love those who don't love us. To mature us spiritually so that we could draw closer to God. He is using our work to draw closer to him. All right. What is the second reason for doubting God? Well, what's the second reason for worshiping idols is to doubt God has our interests, has our best interests. To doubt that God has the best for us. Why do I say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. <laughs> Where was that in Exodus? Well, here we are. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 to 3. If you have an app and you could switch windows, turn to that one, right? But keep your finger on 1 Corinthians. The whole Israelite community settled from the desert of sin. I'm reading from Exodus. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children alive so I die of thirst? They're thirsty. That's why my voice was made up. Because they're thirsty. All right? Do we really believe that God's plans and intentions are for our own good? Do you? Do I? That although his plans does not appear right away to be all that great, Seriously, most of the time it doesn't, right? Do we trust that in the end, whatever his plans are, it's for our own good and for all of humanity, not just for ourselves? It's hard to wrap our head around it, especially when we are in the middle of a horrible, horrible storm, a horrible tragedy, cancer, severe illness, death knocking on our doors when we're at the peak of our lives, freak accidents that leave us paralyzed, evil like the shooting in Sandy Hook and recently in Florida. We can't blame the Israelites for the way they responded, can we? Because death was literally knocking on their door. You're wandering in the freaking desert. You're thirsty. Some of them died already. Read the passage. Some of them died in their journey. So you, you see people dying in front of you of thirst, no water. Is God really there, you ask? Is is this whole thing really happening? Why? Is God really having Our best interest in mind? Is he really for us? This is what the Israelites were saying. And I think some of us are saying that today. Why is this happening? Is God really there? And this is where we are tempted to worship idols again. is when we doubt that God has our best interest in mind. That God is there for our own, for our good. Third reason. I call it envy. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Paul was referring to the time when the Israelites did not have food to eat. You know, um, they go, man, I'm getting bored with this wafer. You know, this manna. Yeah, it's sweet and everything, but I want some meat, right? Some protein, right? I'm like, So they grumble. They ran out, and here's the passage he was referring to. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1 to 3. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sid, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They go, Mo, we're going to die. (laughs) <laughs> right? Like we were like we could we should have died in the in the, uh, like died in Egypt rather than die by the Lord's hand in you know, like we would rather be dead, died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. Right? They would say, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. No, I'm hungry. Right? That's what they're saying. It's better back there. Why are we here? Boy, it's tough to obey God in the twenty-first century, especially in the side of, in this side of the planet. Cost of living is high, housing is expensive. If you're in like over in like uh, Silicon Valley, where she is from. It's like freakishly high the cost, right? And she has no choice. it's really really expensive, right? So it's very, very hard to, to say that you know, you're living in a hole in a wall and suddenly you see all, the, all your other peers living in houses or townhouses that have bigger square footage than you, right? It's very hard to keep our focus on God. Like, and because it's always, the grass is greener on the other side. The Israelites said the grass was way greener in Egypt, we had pots of meat. But then little did they forget that they actually didn't have pots of meat back then. But then, you know, they start to think of these things. They start to churn out things that are better. Always, There's always better on the other side. You know, for us, we do have our issues too, don't we? We have mortgages to pay, rent to pay, food to pay, fuel to pay. And then when it comes to Sunday, we're told to ha- take out this envelope and say, give 10% of our gross, not our net. And then we go, oh, ugh, it hurts so bad. right? And then the banker, our our financial advisor would say, why do you do such a stupid thing? You should just keep it and then pay off your debt, right? Pay off your mortgage. Like every financial advisor would tell you that it is better to reduce your principles that the interest rates would be lower, right? However, God honors obedience. God honors obedience. It is really not our money, is it? Jesus always said that, uh, remember there was a time when the, the that the Pharisees asked Jesus, hey, how come you guys are not paying your taxes? Like, should we pay taxes or not? And then Jesus says, well, whose image is on those money? The Caesar. So he, what did he say? Give Caesar to what is Caesar's. And then, interesting enough, he actually alluded, because who was he talking to? He was talking to Jews, right? So they know, in their mind, the Old Testament. Whose image do you carry? God. We are created in God's image. So who owns us? God. And so what are we to give? Ourselves, our all. Follow? So even though we we find it painful to tithe and to give 10% or whatever quantity that God has impressed in your heart, God will honor obedience because we are doing what we're supposed to do anyway, giving our all to God. All right. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 6. Sometimes we say, OK, then, we know all this stuff. All right? We cannot possibly fall into temptation in worshiping idols. But you and I both know now that we explore that, yeah, there are many times that we will fall. But let's just say that there's no possibility. So what is this whole worship thing, then? Well, let's go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 6. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. However, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. All right, so here's rule number one. Now you know, now you know all the, temp- the possible temptations, the reasons for being tempted to worship idols. Now you know, just don't be cocky. Don't think that you can stand firm now, Paul says, right? Because he says, be careful that you don't fall. And so let's say that now you go, okay, John, then how are we worshiping idols? like? What are some examples of us worshipping idols? Well, let's picture this. This is one example that I always see that both Rosanna and I because we go to friends' parties, you know, kids have birthday parties now, and we just sit at the table amongst Christians. Here we ha- so we're start a conversation, right? And there's there's some newcomers out there, uh like in sitting at the table. So we start conversations. And what do I usually hear in these conversations? What do you usually talk about? Wow, the housing is so expensive. Right? Agree? Right, usually that. Well, look at how little this is. Like usually, that's how it goes. That wow, the, the housing is so expensive, or my job really sucks, or they just talk about their work, right? Or I, I, like the, the taxes are going up and the carbon tax and the fuel. It's just getting more and more expensive, right? We start talking, right? Paul says that's okay, because you're just uh, breaking the ice, right? You're breaking the ice, you're creating conversations, you're being in community. How many of us have in community, in our small groups, or anywhere, we talk about that stuff, right? We don't really talk about the Canucks because there's nothing to talk about. But you know, but we talk about other things, right? We talk about money, we talk about our finances, we talk about housing, jobs, and potentials, and kids, right, especially families, right, agree? We have, we, our, lots of our conversations with those who have kids are centered on the kids. Right? How's their schooling? Are they having friends? What activities have you involved them in? Everything revolves and centered in other than Jesus. You notice? All the conversations we do are not centered on Jesus. They're just centered on something else. Paul says, okay, amongst us believers, that's great. But then I, you ask yourself and you have to ask, uh, we all have to ask, what happens if a new believer suddenly says, I'm a new believer? I recently received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, I just baptized. The new believer, there's one truth about the new believer, is that they have switched allegiances. They have recently decided that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior and King and ruler and should be the center of their lives. Once they say that at the dinner table, or once we know and no longer become ignorant, what should we be doing? stop our conversations. We should stop. We should stop talking about money, we should stop talking about jobs, we should stop talking about kids, and center our conversations on the hope that we have in Jesus. Very difficult. But that means that we stop worshiping the idols. This is what Paul meant by stumbling. Not allowing your brother or sister to stumble, your new believer to stumble, Look, a new believer. Once a new believer comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, they're not. They, they know that they always fall prey to be tempted to about money and talk about money and housing and finance and kids. They know that. We know that, but they're not as strong as we think we are, right? So, what should we do at a dinner table? Stop talking about it. And put our focus back onto Jesus. Whenever I meet with a Some of you know Kiefer. He said, recently received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We don't talk about his job or his work. I'm more concerned about how are you doing with Jesus? How's your prayers? What have you been praying for? And how can I help? Let's try to, uh, church, to create conversations of hope and Christ centered conversations. Move past the kids' conversations. Move past the hobbies, the finances, the money, the house. Yes, we all know that's a concern, right? But we also know that Jesus far outweighs the importance of everything else, amen? He is much more important. He can provide. Why are we, com- why are we complaining about it then? If we know, if we swear and we sing it, that God will provide. Why do we have to put that on the conversation table? We don't. We don't need to be worried about money because money is not our master. Jesus is our master. So we know we are strong. Some of us may say, "I'll never fall." Pray to worship idols. Let's just hear our conversations, though. And if we do, and if God does reveal to us a new believer in our midst, pray that our holy, that the Holy Spirit will give us discernment and awareness that there is one or there's a few, and then immediately pray for wisdom on how we could switch that conversation around, switch channels, and be a Christ-centered conversation instead. (laughs) Lastly, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and where is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Verse uh, chapter 10, verse 16 to 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. How, so you probably ask now yourselves, man, it's so easy to fall into temptation then to worship idols. How can we solve this then? How can we, what's our best defense? Well, Paul gave us the best defense and also the best offense. Thanksgiving. But not just any thanksgiving. Like sometimes we pray off and then start off in our prayers saying thank you, thank you Lord, thank you Lord, thank you Lord for our health, thank you Lord for my job, thank you Lord for my wife, for your spouse, thank you Lord that I'm not dead, thank you, that, you know, et cetera, etc., cetera. No, what did Paul say? Thank you for Jesus who died for me. That's the best defense and offense. To remind ourselves continually at the Lord's table, to be remember that Jesus, died for us. He bought us with a great price. And that is our greatest defense, but also offense. That somebody saw us worth more than anything else, worth it to be, to die for. Amen.